1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. There's a little more breathing room before children physically go back to school. Ontario's education minister is allowing school boards across the province to have until Tuesday, September 22nd to open schools. If they need extra time to come up with individual plans to best protect students against COVID-19. Here in Toronto, public schools will open on September 15th for both in-class and virtual learning. The biggest issue seems to be around class sizes in elementary schools, which Toronto District School Board trustees addressed this past week in allowing for smaller class sizes in higher-risk COVID-19 neighbourhoods by using reserve funds to bring in hundreds of additional teachers. All the while, a new Toronto District School Board survey suggests even with smaller class sizes, 25% of parents say they won't be sending their children to school. What does all this mean for children, parents, and grandparents? While filling in for Libby Nimer on Wednesday, I was joined by TDSB spokesperson Ryan Byrd, Eloise Tan, Research Program Director at People for Education, and grandparenting spokesperson and award-winning author Kathy Buckworth.
2: I guess there's two groups of grandparents is what I would suggest. There's those that are in the bubble and will stay in the bubble. And there's those that are outside of the bubble, either they physically live far or they just, you know, have to socially distance for safety concerns. So I think if you're inside the bubble, there are still, pardon me, outside the bubble, there are still things that we can do to help our kids. And those might include things like, you know, setting up regular sessions with the grandkids via, you know, online Skype, Zoom, etc., trying to stay in touch. And while we might've been doing that, you know, in a more social perspective through the summer, maybe trying to get involved with the kids' uh, school curriculum. And you can find that easily online for the grades. Getting to know what they're doing, setting up a regular time, maybe, you know, grandma's 4 o'clock on a Tuesday. If you have a retired teacher in your family that's a grandparent, how great would that be to be able Mm -hmm. able to tutor a child? Also, if you've got older kids that are, you know, tweens and teens, Maybe find out what they're reading for English class and you might get to read a great Canadian novel as well and really talk to them, you know, in depth about some of their schoolwork and hopefully that will help. The parents, when it comes to homework time, we can all still drop off, you know, homemade casseroles, socially distance in backyard, do puzzles, games from a socially safe distance to keep that educational piece, learning outside of the classroom, because if they're spending all of their time inside or doing a lot of online learning, they're going to need that extracurricular interaction as well, whether it's from six feet apart or, or over you know, the internet line.
1: Eloise Tan is on the line with us. She is the Research Program Director at People for Education. What are your thoughts on having a little more time to make smaller classrooms a priority by using reserve funds to bring in more teachers?
3: I think having the staggered start was definitely necessary. And yeah, it would have been great if boards had known about this a little bit earlier, but they will work with what they have. It's not just great for the boards for their planning, but I think as parents, I'm a a parent of two, uh, for parents and kids, the staggered school school start is definitely helpful for us.
1: And tell us about um, your children, what grades they're in and whether they're going to go back.
3: So I have two kids, five and three, and my five-year-old will be going into senior kindergarten in, in September. And my husband and I, we decided that we won't be sending him back to in-class learning in September. And, you know, we had to, th- every parent wants the best for their kids and every parent has to think about their own situation, what they're able to do and what the risk factors are for them. Um, and for us, you know, we have my mother is in our social bubble. She's over 70, so we have to think about that. We have other immunocompromised you know, people in our family. Um, I'm also really familiar with my son's school and there's a thousand people in his school. There's 30 people in his classes. I know the, the rooms fairly well and there's not a lot of good ventilation in them. So I just, we just weren't comfortable sending him back into, into that environment.
1: We're going to the Toronto District School Board now and spokesperson Ryan Bird. Now, when you and others at the TDSB received the news uh, from Stephen Lecce about having more time, what were the thoughts?
4: Well, I, ideally, we, we'd love to be able to start uh, on the first day of school, although uh, it seems each day and each meeting we go through, it's looking more and more like we will need that extra time. The ministers now said we have up to two weeks to stagger or delay. Uh, the start of the school year, and it is looking more and more like that will be the case. We don't have that 100% confirmed quite yet, but obviously the second we do, we want to get that out to parents so that they can plan accordingly. I, we know, and we've heard loud and clear, that parents want information now. Quite frankly, they needed it days, if not weeks ago, and we do recognize that. Um, The the changes have come more recently, but we are working as hard as humanly possible night and day to try to get this information locked down and then get it out to parents because we know they not only have an important decision to make, they just want to know what's going on come this September. So if that's my message, uh, we just really want to reassure people that we are trying to get this info to them as soon as possible, and I just really appreciate their patience.
1: TDSB spokesperson Ryan Bird, Eloise Tan, Research Program Director at People for Education, and grandparenting spokesperson and award-winning author Kathy Buckworth. Listen for more on how grandparents can help out during this coming school year tomorrow with Bob Comsick on the Zoomer Week in Review after the noon news. You're listening to the best of fight back. I'm Jane Brown. Zoomers love summer reading, reading anytime for that matter. Our colleagues at Zoomer Magazine are celebrating the joy of reading in the latest issue, which also pays tribute to one of the greatest Canadians of all time. Zoomer Magazine's editor-in-chief and publisher, Suzanne Boyd, join me on Monday with a preview of what you can expect when you pick up the September issue.
5: Issue of Zoomer, we've launched a book club called Zed, the Zoomer Book Club, which um, lives on everythingzoomer.com, which is our website, as you know. And so we were looking at books, and um, we were also thinking, because of what's been going on with the pandemic and with um, the, the reckoning around racism, that, you know, it really was as we went through this process as a country, as a society that it was really time to look to the future and look to hope. And we were seeing hope in all the things that people have been doing, you know, regarding their activism and around keeping themselves safe and just rising together as a country to face down our problems. And um, when the book um, sort of came forward, it was almost like um, serendipity that here was someone who... Changed the world by um, by doing this marathon of hope, and we were thinking of hope, and it was a book about his marathon of hope for our September issue. And you know, as we know, Terry Fox had stopped running on September first, so it just felt there was this um, just groundswell of um, organic, serendipitous um, signals that said Terry Fox should be on the cover. And then we looked at the photo, and when I saw this photo of him, which is one of, uh, one of, has been voted one of the most iconic photos in Canada and in Canadian history and in Canadian culture. And when I saw this photo of him just silhouetted in the dark, coming out, uh, you know, through the light, through the dark into light. It just felt that that had to be the image. And um, the photographer who took the image 40 years ago tells the story in the issue of how that image came to be. And it's very moving. And it just felt very right at the time.
1: No, it absolutely is. And that the Terry Fox Marathon of Hope was something we all got behind mm-hmm. at that time. And uh, getting behind uh, reducing the spread of COVID nineteen and getting rid of it is something mm-hmm. we all need to uh, mm-hmm. get behind, and it's, it's certainly not unanimous as we've uh, as we've mm-hmm. learned this morning from that Angus Reid poll. Mm-hmm.
5: Well, I think it's really true the resilience within each one of us, and I think that's what Terry Fox um, really means to so many that he was. And ordinary. If you read the interview that our um, deputy editor, Kim Honey, conducted with his brother, Daryl, um, who just said, you know, he was an ordinary kid who, you know, and then this thing happened to him and he decided it made him do extraordinary things. And um, we've all had to, as a society, just be more than ordinary in terms of, you know, sticking to what we need to do. If you're lucky enough not to have um, been affected physically by the um, pandemic, you know, just emotionally and mentally, it's also very hard. So it's just keeping that resilience within. And that's also what we try to do with the issue to, you know, it's all, always about giving the information, the policy point of view, the information that you need to know, but also how do you make yourself feel, body, mind and soul? And right. that's really what we've also done with the content in this issue.
1: Suzanne Boyd, Zoomer Magazine's editor-in-chief and publisher. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Was it all about the We Charity controversy or was it time for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to part ways with Bill Morneau as his finance minister due to policy differences? On Monday evening, after five years as Trudeau's only finance minister, Bill Morneau called a sudden news conference to announce his resignation. The next morning, Canadians learned that Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland would be taking over the high-profile position. Fight Back gathered a panel of political players and strategists to discuss the developments. While Libby was away, I was joined by federal NDP ethics critic Charlie Angus, the conservative ethics critic Michael Barrett, and our regular Tuesday strategy panel of John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Toronto Office of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group, and Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village.
2: It was, for me, I guess, a surprise, but not a surprise, in that the rumblings that we've been hearing for over... You know, over a week and a half, we'd heard rumblings, and uh, you know, you sort of don't know how seriously to take it. And then all of a sudden, there it is, and uh, Bill Morneau is resigning, and leaving his seat, and uh, taking a new job. And it, the, the, I guess the speed with which all those decisions were made, um, I guess, led me to conclude that those the rumors were, you know, much more serious than even you know we
1: were thinking they were last week. Charles, what about you?
6: Well, it's a significant occurrence. For any government, when you lose your minister of finance, um, it's not unprecedented. I mean, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau lost John Turner. Prime Minister Crescent lost Paul Martin. Prime Minister Harper lost uh, Jim Flaherty. uh, You know, in circumstances where, frankly, uh, the relationship between the prime minister and the minister of finance had become strained. And and that really goes to the relationship of, you know, the most, important person in government, which is the Prime Minister, and the second most important person in government, which is traditionally the Minister of Finance. So there is an inherent tension there. I think it's been exacerbated by the pandemic and the crying need for faster, more centralized decision-making. Um, and, you know, I, I won't try to gild the lily. I, I don't think uh, the We Charity situation and the trips that Minister Morneau took helped the situation any I think that's probably the understatement of the year. But what is interesting is that with the apparent or likely appointment of Christopher Freeland as Minister of Finance, not only will that be the first female uh, Canadian finance minister in history, but perhaps more to the point, it's an opportunity for the government to chart um, a new way forward as it begins to turn the corner from dealing with the immediate impacts of uh, the pandemic, more into a frame of dealing with the economic recovery aspect. And even though circumstances aren't exactly ideal, this does offer the opportunity to hit the reset button. And so I suspect what we'll probably see next is prorogation, uh, a fairly lengthy cabinet retreat to look at big picture issues around economic recovery writ large speech from the throne, and then either an economic statement or a budget in the fall.
1: John, what about you? What was your reaction last evening?
7: Pierre Paul hit the nail on the head when he said this is a government in chaos. Despite what Charles is trying to uh, portray, which is to say a reset and everything was fine and all that kind of stuff, this this is a huge issue for the government. I think that for me, it wasn't so much a surprise that Bill Morneau was going to resign. What was a surprise for me was what the message was going to be and how it was going to be done. I think that the the writing was on the wall over the last couple of weeks when we saw the PMO concertedly <clears throat> leak information and try to make the narrative that it was a policy difference between, uh, or policy differences, um, you know, between the Minister of Finance and and, and the Prime Minister. Um, the one thing that that it is true is that finance ministers have passed and prime ministers do clash in the two most powerful positions, um, but a lot of them keep the clashes Hidden uh, and quiet, and the prime minister is the one that always rules. and And the fact that he has won on some of these policy uh, clashes isn't um, uh, isn't a, uh, a news for, for anybody, quite frankly. And 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 also, I thought, you know I give no credit. If in fact that, that it was true that there was policy clashes, the fact that he didn't leak them over the course of the last number of years uh, is a tribute to him. But. This was a result of the pressure that the prime minister was facing, the government was facing with respect to we. Um, Marneau, uh, we talked about on this show a number of times, was going to leave or was, was, you know, was the one that was the biggest challenge for them to leave. But I just thought that, you know, this issue of resigning because he was going to run uh, or campaign for the secretary general of OECD uh, was just bunk. You know, you, you, you know finance minister. And Charles mentioned there's finance ministers that have left their positions. Yeah, but they didn't leave them. In the height of a of a potential recession, a height of a pandemic, uh, when when Canadians need the Minister of Finance and the Prime Minister to be working closely uh, together, um, it's, just, it's just not heard of. And I think that's what causes the, the chaos and, and creating the chaos within this government.
1: Let's get reaction now to Bill Morneau's resignation. The conservative ethics critic... MP for Grenville Thousand Islands and Rideau Lakes, Michael Barrett. So the Conservatives got what you asked for. Bill Morneau has resigned. Are you happy about this?
8: (laughs) uh, It's, uh, you know, I I said last night that, um, you know, Justin Trudeau should follow Bill Morneau out the door. This is a, uh, the only solution uh, for this corrupt government is for, uh, is for a change of prime minister now that's something that can be affected by the liberal caucus in ottawa they can uh, they can let the prime minister know that he no longer holds their confidence and and he can uh, and he can take a walk in the uh, the sand or the snow and uh, and and that'll be great uh, but but just shuffling the deck chairs around isn't going to do it going from one hand-picked liberal to another isn't going to reassure canadians uh, they're, they're, they've changed their scandal plagued ways Justin Trudeau and Bill Morneau have been in lockstep for five years. Uh, Justin Trudeau uh, looking to uh, you know, uh, cut off his, hand, his right hand, uh, cauterize the bleeding, and try to save himself is, is not what Canadians need. They need a government that is focused on uh, the economy. They need a government that's focused on the health of Canadians. And this is a government that's only focused on its scandals.
1: We're getting reaction from the opposition critics. Now we've got the NDP ethics critic with us here on Zoomer Radio. Charlie Angus, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on again. What your reaction to Bill Morneau stepping down? Did it was it as crucial for the new Democrats as the conservatives?
9: Well, Bill Morneau uh, had to go for the high jump, Uh this is about protecting the Prime Minister at this point. Um, I think the manner in which the Liberal government handled Bill Morneau's uh, ejection from um, the the caucus, from the Cabinet, it was not the best. I mean, did they have to gossip him to death? The fact is, is that You know, coming into June, the prime minister had so much support across the country because it looked like we were all on the same page, working to ensure we got the emergency benefits out, trying to help small business. Then this we debacle just blew everything up, and questions immediately began to get asked about how this scheme come about. And it tied up the prime minister and the finance minister into Deeply troubling ethical questions. The more we learned, the more troubling it got. There's two investigations underway. Someone had uh, to take the fall. It wasn't going to be the prime minister. So I think this is the prime minister now, uh, in the midst of the biggest economic crisis in a hundred years, tossing his finance minister overboard. What message that sends to international markets uh, remains to be seen. But this is about him trying to get out of yet another ethical scandal. We certainly want answers on we, so if he thinks that he can sweep that under the carpet, that's not going to happen. We're not in the business to be the Prime Minister's friend, but we are in the business to work for Canadians. And in a minority government, you work with people you don't necessarily agree with, but we have to put Canadians first. We're willing to do that, but we need the Prime Minister uh, to, you know, bring his A-game and stop these dumb, unnecessary scandals where he's helping out his friends
1: federal NDP ethics critic Charlie Angus, the conservative ethics critic Michael Barrett, and our regular Tuesday strategy panel of John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner at Fleischman Hillard High Road, Charles Byrd, managing principal of the Toronto Office of Earnscliff Strategy Group, and Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Ron in Guelph is a school bus driver and is asking some good questions ahead of the new school year. Uh, You
10: might
9: be able to find extra classrooms. You might be able to find some extra teachers, but there has been a And always a problem trying to get enough bus drivers. Uh You could probably find buses, but right now there's already, in most places, a shortage of drivers. Where do you get enough drivers to be able to have only 12, 13, 14 kids on a bus?
1: Leslie in Oshawa called to talk about some of the challenges around physical distancing in schools.
2: I am a lunch supervisor in a elementary school, and... I was shocked. The first time I went in to do all this, I was shocked to see that these kids do not sit at a separate desk. They are, they're in groups around tables. I have been told by a friend who is custodian in Peterborough that they are going to go back to the single desk and lines the way I was brought up with. All activities that are not to do with learning, are being removed from the classes. These kids are going to be in for a shock of their lives.
1: Rose in Scarborough phoned to give her first-hand perspective on protections around COVID-19.
2: As a grade one teacher in the classroom, the students really don't understand social distancing all day long. So class size to me is very important. Class size needs to be decreased. About online learning, parents apparently have a choice to send their kids to school or not at all. I'm concerned about, after spending a full day in the building, do I go home, which is an hour's drive away from my school, and start doing online teaching to those kids that have chosen to stay home?
1: Tony in Keswick is also thinking about back to school, which is directly affecting some of his family members.
10: My nephew's a teacher and his wife's a teacher, and. They don't feel like they've got all their eggs in one basket. The school board, when they say this about going back, is uh, how do you relate to the kids who aren't going to go straight home after school, end up going hanging out uh, with people, and then you know? And, and my nephew's wife is pregnant. They got a two and a half year old kid plus she's pregnant, uh, seven months pregnant, and uh, that's what he's worried about. Is is sure they're going to cover them at school, but uh, how about they should be responsible for when these kids leave to go to school? There's nothing telling these kids well you go right home now <laughs> or anything how do you control them from hanging out with their buddies and maybe catching something uh you know it's still not a bulletproof or even close to it and they're asking these people to go out there and put their lives on the line
0: i don't know and now fight back's knockout call of the week
1: there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Paul in Mississauga, who phoned to express his concerns about those who are not adhering to public health guidelines.
10: I'm a frontline worker who's out there battling the pandemic,
6: and I went to poor credit for dinner with my wife on the weekend.
7: Uh, like most patios and restaurants, there is a lineup But I was very disappointed to find so many people in the lineup, as well as walking by on the sidewalk with no mask, no physical distancing. And just like it's any other day. And we're never going to win this war with people like that.
1: Paul, thanks for calling and thanks for keeping us all safe. That does it for today's best of fight back on Zoomer radio. If you'd like to qualify for the fight back knockout call of the week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby and have your say anytime on our fight back voicemail at 416. 367-9636 That's 416- 367-9636 I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of The Best of Fight Back.
0: The Best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham executive producer Moses Nimer